Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movies Be Like podcast. I'm Miranda. And I'm Ryan. And today, we're going to be discussing... The Coen Brothers movies. Yes, specifically their top three, at least we believe, their top three most popular films. Fargo... The Big Lebowski. And No Country for Old Men. These are some fantastic films, you guys, and I really enjoyed seeing them. Yes, they're very, very good. They're, yes. Yeah, I wonder how many of you, when we said the Coen brothers, had no idea who the, who the F the Coen brothers are. They're so well known. I feel like they're, like, up where, like, Tarantino is. I feel like they're just as recognizable. I still feel like Tarantino's a more commonplace name than... I guess. Than the Coen brothers. They're still very well-renowned, though, because The Big Lebowski, hello, great film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, all of them are. But before we jump into them, Miranda, how are you doing this morning? I'm okay. That's it? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm chilling. You have your glass of orange juice with ice? Yeah. With ice in I it. I want to try it with ice. It doesn't it taste kind of weird, though. But there's not that much left, so it's okay fascinating stuff guys. yeah you'll see that on the youtube version of this <laughs> podcast recipient from it anyway um yeah I, I got i got the second dose of the vaccine mm-hmm. and i got a really bad fever from it for like two days and then now it's gone so i'm i've recovered and i feel better and covid if you're out there try me try me bitch you're not gonna get me you had a really bad reaction to it <laughs> it's but that's a good thing it means that it's working they say that if you, if you get the side effects it means that it's working it also works if you don't get the i know but they specifically <laughs> say that the fever means that the vaccine is yeah, working it means your body is adapting yes yeah just because you're lucky and didn't no, get I know. anything I, yeah. doesn't mean that. I got my second. I got my second dose the day before her, and I didn't have a reaction mm-hmm. whatsoever. Well, lucky you. Better immune system over here. That doesn't mean. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ah, uh, you ass. What? Okay. Uh, how are you? Well, I just took a shower. Fascinating. Yeah, my how hair's was a little it? flat. It was great. Everyone should take a shower. <laughs> Even if you're clean already, just go take you, a shower. If you just took a shower before listening to this podcast, go take another go one. Go take another one. Oh. And then come back, and then you'll understand how Ryan feels. So without further ado, let's get into these movies and these directors. So first we have Joel and Ethan Cohen. So they are brother directors, as we all know. Brother directors, writers, <clears throat> producers, and editors... These guys do it all. Insane. They do literally everything for all of their films. Um, which is kind of in violation of like the guilds, because like Wait, you're really? yeah, well you're only supposed to have like a certain amount of work um when it comes to a film. But they have like maneuvered their way around it so that they don't get in trouble for it. <laughs> do you wanna know how? No. So yeah, you do. Yeah, of why course wouldn't I... why why yeah, of course I Okay. Do. Um well, here's the thing. So, let me just give you a backstory of them, in a sense, as well. Okay, so, Joel and Ethan Cohen, they are kind of like auteurs, in a sense. When were they born? Can we, can we establish when, like, how old they are? 
Well, one's 63 years old now and one's 66. So, they were born in, like, the... Either the late 50s. The 50s. They the were born in the 50s. 50s. <laughs> I don't do math in my head. Okay, yeah, they were born in the 50s. So, um, yes, but they have... They're very well known, known in contemporary American cinema for their very uncommon approach to the way that they tell stories, right? It's very non-commercial. Mm-hmm. And um, it feels like a lot of their films tend to have a lot of... Like, there's no closure in a lot of their films. <laughs> like, they just kind of end. Um, like, with a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, I but mean... But not in, like, an unsatisfying mm-hmm. way where you're, like, mad about it. Like, you're not pissed that you don't know what happened, like, to that character. Like, is that character dead? Or did they make it out of there alive? Yeah, um, I mean, the first movie that I experienced of theirs was the was Hail Caesar, and it kind of just ends. Yeah! We yeah. saw Hail Caesar in theaters when it came out, not knowing who the Coen brothers were, and not having seen anything else And I was just theirs. kind of like, what I was this movie? Confused. I was kind of disappointed at the moment, because I wasn't it's used very to that different. kind of But it does have film. Alden, Alden Ehrenreich. It does have Alden. Alden Ehrenreich was the best part of that film, for sure. But, um... You're related. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact. Fun fact. I'm... Kind of. Related to Aaron <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. But anyway, um, so, because <laughs> that's very off topic. Yeah. But um, he was the best part of that film. But I just remember it ending, and it was a very weird plot, and I was very confused. Yeah. Um, Josh Brolin was in it. And Channing Tatum. Remember he does yeah, a whole tap dance as like a sailor, <laughs> yeah. and they sing about how they they don't got no dames. Mm-hmm. That was a really good scene. Um, anyway, off topic. Uh, hey, tell me more about the the Cohens. <laughs> well, they say that their Jewish heritage uh, affects how they see things, and that is part of their unique approach to filmmaking. Oh, nice. And uh, they also grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is Minnesota is where Fargo takes takes place yeah. you know yeah um and they're both their parents were university professors their mom was an art historian and their dad was an economist 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 yeah economist right. okay <laughs> you laughed really loudly into the mic i'm sorry i laughed <laughs> too hard or too loud okay so when they were kids, they saved up a lot of money to buy a Super 8 camera. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Mm-hmm. And, um, which nowadays they go for, like, thousands of dollars because they're, they're nostalgic factor, you know? People well, are just paying thousands of dollars for nostalgia, basically. Is the Super 8 camera a video recorder? Or... It's film. Or is it on film? Yeah. I... There... That term for me is used interchangeably, but, like, with a photo camera or... What? Film camera. Film camera. I believe. I'm trying to distinct between taking photos and taking... Well, I believe films. it's a film camera because okay. they t- they made films on it. <laughs> um, anyway. Well, dumb question over here. <laughs> Keep going. And so they made their first little movie at um, an airport in their neighborhood when um, 
Ethan was like 12 years old or something. They made a little a little film at their airport, like a briefcase and a, <clears throat> and a suit and things, and that that was their first little film. Was it good? I don't know. I doubt it. I haven't seen They're it. only 12. Well, Ethan's only 12. Oh. Joel was like 15 or 16. 12-year-olds can't make good cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Okay, and then, uh, what was I going to say? Joel... He actually has his BA in film from NYU. Ethan, on the other hand, has a BA in philosophy from uh, Princeton. Wow! So it's no comment. question that these boys are a little, little privileged, you know, going to these Ivy Leagues. And... Yeah, I mean that's a pretty good combination for filmmakers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, these lucky, lucky boys. Well, and their um, parents. Well, it sounds like their parents were very well off, and they. We're very intelligent people. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're from the Midwest, right? Yeah. Minnesota's the Midwest. <clears throat> it, it it reminds me of that fake Onion article where they were like, two young boys <laughs> from from a small town in the Midwest already feel pressure to become auteur filmmakers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, that's the Cohen brothers. That's that's, that's exactly them. who it is. Oh my god! All right. So you have a lot of notes there. Shut up. They're interesting people. They are. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. They they said that they described their they described their um, careers in Hollywood as having their own little corner in a sandbox, like where uh, all the, everyone else yeah. in Hollywood just kind of leaves them alone and they make whatever they want, and everyone else kind of just. I like that. Yeah. Also, another one of their trademarks is that they tend to use a lot of the same actors in their films, which is definitely something that we noticed just watching these three films. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the other things I've seen by them, like they use Francis McDormand a lot, but that's because Francis McDormand is married to, uh, which Cohen brother? Joel. Joel. Yeah. She, she's married to Joel. Mm. And then there's, you know, John Turturro and Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> they use a lot of the same actors. And a lot of the time when they write their screenplays, they have actors in their minds that they want to play each character already before yeah. casting. They just already know in their head. Um, yes. So, when it comes to... Back to the whole uh, Directors Guild of America regulations and things. Um, they started making films, you know, a long time ago. Back in, like, the... Did they start in, like, the 80s? Well... What do you mean? I mean, like, when did... I know that their first, like, real classic was Fargo, and that wasn't until 1996, but I don't know very much of the films that were made before Fargo, so I don't know when they, like, exactly got started as directing together as a pair. Mm -hmm. But because of DGA regulations... What's DGA? Directors Guild of America. They... um, You're only allowed to have one director on a film. Mm Mm-hmm. So they decided that Joel would always get the director because he's three years older. (laughs) And then Ethan would get the producer. And then they'd both get writer credit. Mm -hmm. But then for editing... (laughs) They have their mom do it? No. For (laughs) editing, they made up um, a name 
called Roderick Janes that is credited <laughs> in every uh, every film that they make because I feel because I think that like you can't be credited for that many things on a film or something. But everyone knows that Roderick James is them. So like, how did they just get away with having a fake name? I don't know <clears throat> because they're... it's an industry held secret. You're not supposed to expose the Coen brothers like that. It's everywhere. Anyway, and... (laughs) They'll get in trouble. (laughs) It wasn't until 2004 when the DGA made an exception for uh, directors that are pairs for them to, like, both be credited. So from 2004 on, they're credited. They're both credited for directing. Like, um, them and, like, the Wachowskis, they all... All those pairs of directors well, finally nice. got credited as a pair instead of having to pick who gets the, the, the name. So yeah, and that first happened on their film *The Lady Killers* in two thousand four. Ain't that interesting? And that film did not do very well, apparently. *The Lady Killers*. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of it. They have so many films. <clears throat> it's hard to keep track of all of them. Also, fun fact. Another one? Well, also part of their trademarks is that they bounce between styles and genres, you know? All of their films, you just don't know what to expect. Well, a lot of them are like blends, or like specific interpretations and twists of already made ones. Yeah, so you just don't really know what to expect, because it's like, sometimes it's a comedy, sometimes it's a crime, sometimes it's a thriller, sometimes it's a comedy crime thriller, sometimes it's (laughs) like just... Really bizarre, like mm-hmm. Hail Caesar. Um, Didn't even, yeah. Uh, but remember how we watched? We had to watch Miller's Crossing. Remember that film? Yeah. Miller's Crossing. Which one? Can you explain the plot for like a second? I didn't really know what was going on. Which one? It was like a, a gangster movie. And I was like, oh, it's by the Coen brothers. It'll be good. And because it was... Uh, Did I see it? Yeah, I made you watch it with me. Because I thought that it was going to be good. I thought, and, and then we were both kind of like, eh. Miller's Crossing. Ryan's looking it up. Because he <laughs> forgets everything. Oh, yeah. Yes. That was... That film. They got really bad writer's block while writing that film. So, to... <laughs> So while they had their writer's block, they wrote Barton Fink, which is another film. They wrote another... That's about a man going through writer's block. So so in the midst of their writer's block for Miller's Crossing, they wrote another screenplay about writer's block. And then after that, they continued writing Miller's Crossing. Isn't that crazy how they're just, like, able to turn their... Uh, you know, their struggles into film more films. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that's the Coen brothers for you. So, we can go on to talking about Fargo if you want. I feel like that's what our listeners want. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, but, that was really cool. Thank you for far, thank what? you for explaining who the Coen brothers are. Mm-hmm. And they're still around, they're still alive and kicking in their 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're going 60s. strong. Going strong. What was their last <clears throat> film that they made? It was in 2018. Oh, what? Yeah. I don't know. 
I remember, like, not caring for it. Or maybe I did. <laughs> 2018. We'll keep talking while I look it up. I can't remember what it was, but I just remember uh, it not winning its Oscar. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, yeah. I never saw it, though. Did it win its Oscar? It got a 7.3 on IMDb. It wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, because I think I, I I was just kind of... Oh, it has James Franco? It has a lot of people. Oh, that's what this is from? This meme? Oh, my God. Okay. There's a meme of... <laughs> uh... James Franco being hung by a noose. Or he's like looking off to the side, like kind of half smiling. Like before he gets hanged. Yeah, anyway. Sorry. Let's move on to Fargo. Yes, it's from that film. Yeah. But anyway, so that's their last film, is Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I, I thought it was it was good. You did? It wasn't as good as everything else that they make. Well, it's like a bunch of different stories in a film. No. Well, you, you win some and you lose some. Yeah, I just really liked <clears throat> Buster Shrugs, and then... Well, don't tell me what happens in the film. Okay. <laughs> I want to watch it. <laughs> I just didn't know that it was going to be, like, it a bunch of different stories, so he's only oh. in one of the stories, you know? Mm -hmm. That's all I'll say. All right, okay. guys. So, we're going to be spoiling... Spoilers ahead. Yeah, we're going to be spoiling all three of these movies. We're going to be spoiling Fargo, No Country for Old Men, and The Big Lebowski. So... These are really good films. If you haven't seen them, I really encourage you to go watch them and then come back. So Yeah. Um, not, unlike the Spongebob movies that we were... <laughs> it's totally fine if you didn't see those, but you should see these. Yeah, you should definitely see these. Um, okay, Fargo. Came out in 1996. Yes. Cass. Jerry Lundergaard as William H. Macy. Gene, his wife, is Kristen Rudrud. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Rudrud. It, it had like a it had two dots above the U. I don't know how to pronounce that. Oh. And then Carl, Oops. Steve Buscemi, and Gaier, who's Peter Stormare. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah, I wanted to just. I had notes for that. <laughs> you also forgot a huge main character. I know. I know. Keep going. <laughs> you forgot Francis McDormand's yeah, character. Yeah, I did. Marge. <laughs> How'd you forget Marge? She's the best character in the I whole film. I did not film. forget her. Okay, well, anyway. So in this film, they the, the entire cast speaks in a dialect known as Minnesota Nice, which is very humorous. Um, They're just all nice and polite the entire time. Yeah. And, uh... I mean, you know, Minnesota's right up there against Canada, so, like, it's... Yeah, exactly. So it's, mm -hmm. you know... Very specific dialect. Um, did you, uh, apparently the Big Lebowski and Fargo were both being, they were done being written at the same time, mm -hmm. and it's just pure luck that Fargo was made first because Jeff Bridges uh, was busy filming something else, oh. so they had to hold off the Big Lebowski and make Fargo first. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and then it, Fargo became their first cult classic. So imagine if it was the other way around. If, if the Big Lebowski came out first, and then Fargo, I feel like they're both really good, though, so I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Fargo's considered a cult classic? Yeah. I thought of cult classics as something as, like, it doesn't. They don't have Rocky to be bad. Horror. They don't oh. have to be bad films. They can... They can be good. They're just, like, very specific. Like, a very specific <clears throat> kind of humor that attracts a certain audience. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because so, a lot of people, they watched Fargo and The Big Lebowski, and they're like, I don't get it. 
<laughs> like they genuinely are confused and don't understand what, why it's funny. Like Monty Python. Yeah. You know, we have friends who are like, we tried watching it, we didn't get it. And it's like totally cool because it's not for everyone. Just like how these films, I mean, I think they're more for everyone than mm-hmm. Monty Python is. But, um. So, well, the plot of this movie. Go ahead. And there's a husband and a wife. And the husband works at, the husband's name is Jerry Lundergaard, and he works at a car dealership Mm -hmm. for his wife's dad. He needs money to pay off some debts, so he hires these two men to abduct his wife. Yeah, he's paying two guys to abduct his wife to get money from his dad, or... Okay, I'm explaining this really badly. <laughs> he hires two men to kidnap his wife, so that way his wife's father will pay the two guys. For ransom. Yes. And then it just snowballs out of the, Like, this whole plan falls apart. Mm-hmm. And lots of lives are lost. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And some people are... Considered psychopaths. And mm-hmm. uh, and then we have Marge, the cop, who is... Extremely good at her job. Yes. At solving everything. Played by Frances McDormand. Yeah. The queen herself. And she will not rest until she figures out this case. Mm-hmm. But she's not like... She's, she's very... She's just so sweet, mm-hmm. you know? She's not like mean about anything. She's just kind of like doing her job. And she's into it. It's really adorable. Anyway. Um, yes. And also, Frances McDormand's character was written for her. You know who else? By is, her husband. You know, <laughs> you know who else's character was written specifically for them? Who? Steve Buscemi. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And Steve Buscemi has, for every line that his partner has, he has, like, nine and a half lines <laughs> for every line that his because well, his partner has like 16 lines in the whole film. Steve Buscemi's character and his Peter and his co-star, I guess, or his companion. His partner, his partner in crime. What are you kidding? I'm really having a hard time. <laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> I don't Ryan? know. I'm really having a hard time explaining my thoughts. <laughs> What's wrong? Go ahead. So the two guys that <laughs> Jerry Lundergaard hires are Carl and Gaier, Steve yes. Buscemi and Peter Stormare. And yes. they casted Steve Buscemi because he's a funny looking guy. Yes. And it's a, it's a, like a gag that goes throughout the whole film. Yes. Of how people would describe Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. his character. It's like, he's just a funny looking guy. Can you, can you explain more on that? No, he's just funny looking. He's just funny looking. That's it. And he is a funny looking man. And it's man. true. And now when people, <laughs> uh, you know, explain someone as funny looking, they're always like, is it like Steve Buscemi funny looking or like a different guy <laughs> funny looking? God. Steve Buscemi. Legend. I love how he's gotten <clears throat> famous for being funny looking. Um, but also for being talented. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Okay, anyway. Um, so... Another thing is that this film was made, they wanted to film it in Fargo, Minnesota, but Fargo was going through their mildest winter when, during the years that they were trying to film. They were going to film so in the like winter. No snow. 
Yeah, there was like no snow. It was the sunniest winter for two years in a row in 1995 and 1994. Mm -hmm. So... They were like, well, crap. So they had to go film somewhere else where it was like really, really snowy. Um, it was a, it made for a great background for a lot of scenes. Like there was this one scene where um, Guy Air is standing next to his car after he just like killed someone. And behind him, there's a telephone pole. And there's like telephone lines going off in the distance. And it's like perfectly framed it seems like a picture oh yes i know what you're yeah. talking about yes the the, the cinematography ah Let's... buzzword right there the cinematography is very good it's mm. very very good oh, oh i did a chef's kiss oh gross um anyway i feel like the coen brothers are very well known for their their way of um in all their films they kind of embellish reality in a way um, like, they kind of just heighten them. Like, they take the most dull places, like Fargo, Minnesota, or... Um, Sorry, people from Fargo, Minnesota. Well, <laughs> I mean, most people <laughs> who would film in, like, a the place, like... I know what you mean. Like, a flyover state. Yeah. They depict it as, like, you know, dull, boring, um, you know, just kind of... A depressing overtone to it. Yeah, but well, can I can I add to this? Yes. Like in the Big Lebowski, it's in L.A., but they focus on the like the drab bowling and yeah, the bowling drab. <laughs> <laughs> like but they still make it alley. like really entertaining. Yeah. Even though it's not taking place at like you know the the Hollywood sign or anything like that. Like nothing yeah. super well known and and you know they're very good at making their locations not you know depressing and awful for the viewer to mm -hmm. see <laughs> you know and then they also just add all these you know wacky characters and all the exaggerated dialogue and mm -hmm. everything um but with fargo what's interesting is just like when you look deeper and you realize just how stupid jerry lundegaard is yeah he's because, first of all, he hired two of the stupidest men <laughs> yeah. to do the job. Of course it was going to fail. <laughs> and then he didn't think about, like, oh, once I get the money, it's going to look a little suspicious when I just pay it all off, like, he also, out of nowhere. They also have a kid. And he came home. Remember, there was that moment where oh, they were, like, right. he was talking about, like, oh, yeah, how does your, how does this kid's name, like, Johnny or something? How does Johnny feel about it? He's like... Oh. Oh, wait, his name's yeah. Johnny? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. He's like, well, I f I'll go talk to him. Like, he hadn't had that realization that he... Yeah, and also <laughs> just like... He kid's mom away. I didn't fully realize what was happening when he got when he came home. Like, the whole scene in the beginning when he's making the plan with the two guys, I didn't fully catch on. I mean, that's the whole point. It's mm -hmm. the film. You're following and you discover stuff as it goes. But, like, <laughs> when he comes home... And he sees that she's been kidnapped. And then he runs to the telephone. He's, like, practicing how he's going to say, Oh, my God, she's been kidnapped. Mm -hmm. I was like, why is he practicing? Oh, yeah, he knew yeah. this was going to happen. Come on. <laughs> it took me a second. Um, yeah. And then um, I had another thing I was going to say. And I forget what it was. Damn it. 
Um, also, I just love Frances McDormand's uh, relationship with her, her husband. husband. She gets a call at like five or four a.m. Yeah, super early. And, and then she's like, I have to go in and his, her husband's and the husband's sweetest like, guy ever. He's like, oh, I'm making breakfast. I'm making breakfast. He's like, no, I'll and make she, you some eggs. And she's and, like, you don't have to. And he's like, no, I'll make you eggs. And then he sits at the table with her while she eats them. Yeah. And it's so cute. And there's a great shot of him sitting on at the table with her. Mm-hmm. And then she gets up and gets to the door, gets which like is also in frames. Gets to her car. And you can, yeah. Yes. It's great. Great shots. Great shots. I really hope that you guys are going to see this film. Or have already seen it. Yeah. Yes. I concur. Mm-hmm. There's also... This is how much the Coen brothers pay attention to detail and plan everything out in their films. 30 minutes before the film ends, Steve Buscemi's on the phone and he says... Well, he's demanding Jerry Lundergaard to pay the money to him. Yes, it doesn't really matter what he's saying, but he's like, he's like... He's like, 30 minutes and we'll wrap this up. And exactly 30 minutes later, the movie's over. Yeah. To the <laughs> exactly and thirty minutes. Down we to the, checked the end of the this credits. because the movie ended, and then I found that out, and I was like, "Wait, rewind exactly thirty minutes." And we were running thirty minutes, and it's exactly when he, when he's saying that. It's a great. <laughs> I'm like that's, Jesus. It's awesome. They really plan this shit. Like they really, mm-hmm. they really dive into this. Anyway, I have some fun facts that you haven't said about Fargo. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. One, in censored versions, you know, when they air it on TV and stuff, normal things. Mm -hmm. They censored the word fucking to fruising. Fruising? Yeah. Why? (laughs) Instead of bleeping it, they made it say, they voiced it over to say fruising. Is it like the actor's voice still? So it's Yeah. So they had to go into ADR one day and just say fruising over and over again? (laughs) Over each line where they say fucking, yeah. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. Why? Is that like a term that they use? I, I guess so. It kind of fits, right? Frozen. Like the frizz. How do they... Can you, can you I don't know, act I haven't, it out? I haven't, act out a scene where they say it, Ryan. <laughs> don't. Don't. What are you, a frozen idiot? I don't know. <laughs> frozen you idiot. You frozen idiot? I don't know. That's, uh, that's interesting. What else? Um... Well, I, we talked about the role for Carl was specifically written for Steve Buscemi because he's a funny looking guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that also yeah. reminds me. Um, uh, what's his name? William H. Macy. When he went in to audition, he was originally auditioning for, like, one of the cops or something. Like, not a big role. And he read for Jerry Lundegaard, like, a couple times. And he was like, I'm perfect for this role. <laughs> <laughs> and then he flew out to see the Coen brothers and was like, if you don't pick me for this role, this movie is going to flop and <laughs> it's not going to do as well as you hope. He threatened the Coen brothers with his talent? Well, they hired him, so. Yeah. And then he, and then, you know, he was I mean, perfect he for the Yeah, he was perfect. For the role. I feel like, what else have I he seen? Just knew. I feel like I haven't seen William H. Macy in a lot of things. I've seen him in Boogie Nights. You've seen him in other things, but you just you aren't thinking of it at the time. <laughs> I just time. can't. Yeah. Can't Same here. Recall. I can't. Um, <clears throat> well, Gaier only has 18 lines of dialogue in the entire film, and Steve Buscemi's character is making fun of him the entire time about not talking. 
Yes. Yeah. I think we kind of touched on that a little bit. Yeah. And and while Steve Buscemi has like 150 lines. Yeah, which is like typical. But 18's not. I mean, yeah. But his role isn't even... I mean, it's pretty big, actually. But it's not... I don't know. It okay. is a sad character. <laughs> what did you like about Fargo, Ryan? Well, it... <laughs> It kept me engaged the whole time. Mm-hmm. It kept me. It kept me very on edge. Like I didn't know what was going to happen, or mm-hmm. if they were going to be found, or and I was. I felt really conflicted because at first I was like, I, I'm so used to having the main character, or at least the, what you seem seem to think the main character is, mm-hmm. and like kind of root for them, right? Mm-hmm. But Jerry Lundegaard is a. F- Awful you're not, person. You're not going to root for him. So you're not him. supposed to root for him. You're supposed to root for Francis McDormand. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you root for Francis, but I had some inner conflict. I'm like, this is different. I'm not used to not liking the one of the main characters. I don't know. The, like, protagonist. Or, yeah. like, they make you think that he's the protagonist for, like, the first 20 to 25 minutes or something. Because, like, Francis McDormand isn't... isn't you're you know, like, yeah. She isn't introduced until after the kidnapping happens. Yeah, you're like, well, I guess these are the main characters, right? And then... Yes. I just love when they're actually about to kidnap her, and Steve Buscemi's outside the window, like, with the axe. And, <laughs> He's just peering in. And and she's just sitting there staring at him like, what is he going to do? <laughs> and he slams it down. She's like, whoa! And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> it's just funny. Um... Also, there are a lot of uh, references to The Shining. In, there are in Fargo. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and which I noticed, like one when when she runs up to the bathroom and they like chop down the door with an axe. I was like, oh, is this supposed to be a reference to The Shining? So that's why when earlier you said that his son was named Johnny, even though he might not oh. be, I was like, oh, is that a reference to The Shining too? I don't know. Ryan's gonna look it up. You can probably hear the tipper tapper of his keyboard. Charlie. Oh, his name's Charlie. Never mind. Wait, no, no, that's that's in season two. Oh, what? Were you looking? You have to look up the movie version. I I know. I just typed in Scotty. His name's Scotty. Oh, you're not even close. Hey, I got the last Johnny Scotty. Yeah, it is. I know. I'm I'm kidding. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, this film is wonderful. And we have a lot more to get into. So we're going to move on to the next film, which is... The Big, Big Lebowski. Lebowski. We all know and love it. We all know and we all love. Well, not everyone loves it. I know a lot of people who are like, what was funny about this? And I'm like, wow. Somebody hates having fun. <laughs> um, it takes a few viewings to really appreciate it to its fullest. Well, also because so much happens in it. But like... Oh, it feels like a lot of what happens in it is, like, behind the scenes and you don't see it happening. So it's, like, you're very, you're confused with the dude as to what's going on a lot of the time. So. This man. No, we should explain what the movie's about. Yeah, no, that's what I'm going to do. The dude. He. (laughs) Played by Jeff Bridges. He just wants his rug back. So this guy's just living, on his rug. <laughs> living alone in L.A. in his shitty-looking apartment, mm-hmm. and he gets caught in the crossfire. 
it's it's really like confusing like the plot i don't even know how to explain it well these two guys think he's another wealthy person with the same last name as lebowski yes and they try and get his money they're like where's the money lebowski and And he's like you got the wrong guy i'm the dude man do you see a wedding ring on this finger? finger. <laughs> the toilet seat is up. <laughs> but yeah. And so. these guys pee on his rug. Yes, they pee on his leave, rug. And then leave and call him a loser. Even mm-hmm. though they're the idiots they're like, <laughs> in the situation. Um, Does that happen? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. He's like, this fucking yeah. loser. And so then, then he leaves. the dude, he goes to see the, the big Lebowski. The, you know, the, the, the one that's rich. And he's like, can you give me a new rug? Because this dude that's looking for money from you peed on it. So I think you owe me a new rug. And a lot happens after that. And I don't even know how to explain it. So I feel like also... Okay, well, the dude has two friends. Also, anyone who's watching this and has already seen it, because we already said that there's going to be spoilers. So anyone who doesn't want... spoilers (laughs) isn't watching this and then also anyone who is listening this probably has seen it and knows what happens in it so we don't have to tell them what happens it's true (laughs) you know okay well anyway what do you have to say about the film ryan well i remember watching this for the first time and was expecting a lot I was expecting it to be a lot more humorous in in a different way. Oh, yeah. I was expecting, like, slapstick kind of, like, funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't... I'm having a hard time explaining. No, it. I understand what you're saying. You expected it to be, like... I expected a different type of a comedy. A goofball yeah. comedy go- slapstick. About this guy called the dude who's a bum and goes... Plays bowling. Yeah. With his friends. Plays bowling. He goes bowling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Yeah, it took like three watches to to fully appreciate it. Three. That was the third one. Well, I watched it. I watched it. This is my third viewing, I think. <laughs> I watched it once, and I when I was really tired. And yeah. I, and I fell asleep, but I paused it, and I was like, I can't stop watching. Like, I have. I cannot sleep through this film. I have to finish it at some point, and it was rented. So then I, but then when I woke up, I finished it and I was like, I still didn't appreciate it enough. So I had, so I watched it the next day and I was like, this is amazing. And then we watched it again for this episode (laughs) and it's beautiful. It's so different than in what way a lot of comedies. Well, first of all, it kind of makes you like idolize the idea of doing nothing and just being super lazy. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a hippie. He's not really a no, hippie. No, he is. He is. He, he talked about his accomplishments to Maud in the bed. He's a pacifist. Well, no, he's a pacifist. No, isn't that... That was... Doesn't he say he's a pacifist? No, he says the guy that Walter pointed a gun at was a pacifist. And he has mental problems. Or, like, mental health issues. Right. No, but he was... What? Yeah, the what dude. What is a pacifist? Can you tell me what, what a pacifist is? <laughs> Putting me on the spot? I know what a nihilist is. I was like, what's a How do you know what a nihilist but not a pacifist? Okay. A pacifist is someone who just kind of lets things happen and, and is 
is a very go with the flow kind of person. So he's a pacifist. That's what the dude is. Let's he do. says that he's a pacifist. Does he? Okay. I remember. Anyway. Oh my god. We don't have to look up things again. <laughs> person who believes that war and violence are unjustifiable. Yeah, I think that. It's a lot of he people. He says that. But no, anyway. But he. There are some historical groups that he points to that he said he was a part of that are major hippie movement. Leaders. Well, a religious movement was also made after this film came out called Dudism. What? Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> What's don't, don't No, I have to open up. my notes. Don't look it up. Okay. Don't open my notes because I closed them. You just, you keep typing and I feel like it's gotten very <laughs> annoying for the, for the listeners. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's called, it's Dudism. It's the Church of Latter-day Dude. That's what they call it. Isn't that crazy? Dudism. It's quote, a philosophy that preaches non-preachiness, practices as little as possible, and above all, uh, <laughs> lost my train of thought there. Qu- end quote. <coughs> oh, you were, that was what you had written. That. I thought you, that's, like, actually. That's, like, the, the bio, the, the bio of the religion. Nice. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Well, and also, just the dynamic between the dude and Walter. They, and Donnie. Well, the Coen brothers specifically wrote Walter, well, Walter's character for John Goodman. And then also, they wrote Walter and the dude as if they were an old married couple. <laughs> like their dialogue <laughs> yeah. is written as if they're a married, old married couple. Which makes a lot of sense because they're just bickering nonstop and... You know, Walter's always angry and mad and just going off and spurting out 260 F-bombs that are in this film. No, there were 292. What? The website I looked at said 260. Well, maybe variations of, like, fuck, fucking and, like, okay. fucking... Maybe this person was just, like, the F-word with no maybe. I-N-G. Okay, well, anyway. So... It makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, the dude's always trying to calm him down, trying to, you know, speak mm-hmm. to him mm-hmm. calmly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I just repeated myself. But yeah. What else do you have to say about this film, Ryan? I have a lot of quotes that I want to say and a lot of fun facts. Oh, God. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, one of the nihilists uh, that is trying to get the money from the Lebowski, the dude... His name's Kiefer, and he's actually played by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, also, in an al- alternate version of the film that was l- released on the USA Network in 2000, it was severely cut, like, to be more, I guess... Appropriate? Palatable for family audiences. They it's removed all the scenes with Jesus. They cut all of the scenes. All the, but and, I love Jesus. I know, it's great. <laughs> he needs to be in there. I don't know why they did that. He's um, the best. The private eye who was looking for Bunny, like the one in the blue Volkswagen bug that was following the dude, he was cut. Um, the scene where Maude is like on her back rolling to, to conceive. Yeah. They cut that. Oh, that's a good part though. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. she. She's like, I don't expect you to be a part of the baby's life. I just want to baby by myself. Yeah, <laughs> they cut. I guess I don't know how much of that they cut, but they cut 
her rolling on her back. But I this. love that part. That, like, really shows who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. Is like, the fact that she wants to conceive by herself and yeah. not have, like, have to have a relationship. That's very world according to Garp way of living. Yeah. You know? If any of you have seen that film. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the comedy central, central release had to censor all of the fucks, all the F-bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, they also changed Walter's line when he was screaming at Larry because he thought that Larry stole the briefcase full of money. He's like, do you see what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass? Yeah. They changed it to, do you see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. I watched the clip last night. Yeah. Do you see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? When you find a stranger in the Alps. That in no way makes sense. Yeah, because they didn't want to cut it too badly to just ruin the entire scene, so they just had him revoice. I gotta it. Fi- I gotta watch this clip after yeah. we're done recording. Okay. Um, many of the dude's clothes are actually Jeff Bridges' clothes. Oh yeah, I know that. That was one of my fun facts. Including I think. the sandals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you see that they hang out at the bowling alley all the time. Mm-hmm. The dude, you never actually see him bowl. I noticed that. Aside, he's aside just from in that montage with Maud, or yeah, yeah, but where he's, he's like teaching her how to bowl, that's the only time. Yeah, but even after that, he you don't see it strike because he just floats underneath all the bowling ladies' skirts. legs, skirts. <laughs> skirts. Yeah. That part's so funny. He's just, just smiling. That, he's just like, that <laughs> whole sequence is so good, and the music in the film is just so funny. And it's just so fitting. And like... Uh, just walked in to see what condition my condition was in. You don't... Not having fun here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What, what condition, condition my condition was in. I also like the, the song. It's like... La 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 la. La 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 Oh, yeah. When, when did they play that? Uh, the man in me will do nearly... It's in the first dream oh. sequence when he's, like, floating above. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's also, like, in the beginning, I think, at some point. I had one more fun fact. Go ahead. So, in an earlier draft of the script, um, you know how the dude doesn't really have a job or anything? He just has money somehow? Well, mm-hmm. his source of income was told, and he was apparently the heir to the inventor of the Rubik's Cube. Wait, what? Wait. Yeah, and that's how he got his money, from the royalties of the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> okay. But that would, would that would have made him Hungarian, and the Coen brothers decided to nix that. Because they didn't want to have to explain that. Oh. Interesting. Well, who, what character do you like the most in this film? There's so many characters. I really like Philip Seymour Hoffman. But that's just oh, because, because you just like him. That's because I just like little Seymour Hoffman. Because he's so funny. The way he embodies all of his characters. Jesus, when he like grabs the bowling he... ball and he gets up and he's like, <laughs> you don't hear him doing it though. He's just in the background. <laughs> I know. This cuts to him doing that. It's so funny. <laughs> Jesus is great. The dude. I don't know. The dude abides. The dude abides. I also just like um. You know, the cowboy. Oh, the stranger? The stranger. 
who's like, sometimes the bar eats you, or sometimes eat the, the bar, bar, and sometimes, well, bar. it eats you. And I just love that you can't see his mouth when he talks. Because his mustache completely covers his mouth. So his his mustache is his mouth. You know? Well, you like being Maud. Not oh, being I Maud. Oh, I love Maud. Yeah, you love Maud. Yeah, Maud. He's a good man. And thorough. And thorough. And, and thorough. And thorough. And thorough. He's a good man. How does she do and it? And thorough. She talks, she's talked about before how... Uh, when she embodied that character, they were the the Coen brothers were like, "I like that accent you do," and she's like, "It's not an accent; it's in dialect. It's a fuck. God, it's like it's like an accentation, accentuation, or something. Like it wasn't an accent. It's just her being like posh and over the top. You know, it's yeah. like a weird mix of like transatlantic and." Mm -hmm. posh mm -hmm. anyway yeah there's... there's more that we can say about it like well the stranger talks about in the beginning where how the dude is uh the perfect example for the time and place that mm -hmm. he's in um and this was during like the gulf war mm -hmm. where george bush well <laughs> so the whole film is kind of like a direct correlation in response to that entire time period that the film was released oh. in. Because George Bush sent troops to that area under seemingly weird, like, like false premises. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, you know, in The Big Lebowski, there was no money. Mm -hmm. There ended up being no money. There ended up being no the money. And that's a false pretense right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's one very large comparison but the, the the entire film was like a like a critique or yeah. like a comment it's an entire commentary mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. that kind of event i see that happened i in, see yeah. yes and how the dude represents hippie hippie and hippieism is hippieism a word but like hippieism dudeism <laughs> um he represents the old hippies and their time has passed and then the big lebowski is more of like a republican yes uh represents the Republican movement that happened after um, the very liberal 60s. You know. Yes. Fun fact. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, um... I don't know what I was going to say. Except I, that we should move on to the next film. I feel like we should because this episode is getting longer than usual. But we could talk for way longer about The Big Lebowski, to be honest, because... It's one of my, our favorite films. It's so good. All right, now we will move on to No Country for Old Men, the crime western that was released in 2007. Um, this movie we just watched yesterday. Like last night. Yeah, for the first time for both of us. I really liked this one. I, I really... Go on. That was so aggressive. <laughs> I really liked it. It was so... That was so passionate. So interesting. I was so enveloped in the story. Like, They're very good. The, I was the so, Coen I was brothers the know how to do that. Time. Yeah. And the characters that they created were so interesting and intriguing. Mm -hmm. And watching their thought processes and their decisions mm -hmm. were very satisfying. Yeah. 
I don't know if satisfi- satisfying is the right satisfying. word. Satisfying. Satisfying. <laughs> but it... The Coen brothers are very, like, they, they know how to plan out a movie mm-hmm. and how to keep an audience engaged and enveloped in the story. Because yeah. they there's so much that you know that's going on, and the plot feels so simple, but so complicated at the same time. Because mm-hmm. there's also so much going on that you don't know that's happening. And I feel like that's just how it is with, like, a lot of their films, is that... Like, because the plot of this film is not complicated no. at all. He he stumbles into a... Well, our main character... What's his name? Llewellyn? Yeah, Llewellyn. He stumbles into, like... Mm-hmm. This drug trade gone wrong, where mm-hmm. there's, like, tons and tons of dead bodies and some, like, drugs mm-hmm. <laughs> in the back of a truck. And it was just He's, while he was out yeah. hunting. Yeah. And he finds a guy who's alive, and he steals his MP5... And the money that he found in a briefcase. Two million dollars. It was like two million dollars. Mm-hmm. And then this is all about him trying to avoid the guy who killed all of them, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Named Sugar. 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 Like, sugar? No, like, Sugar. Mm-hmm. As Woody Harrelson says. <laughs> yeah, that's... What's his name? Javier Bardem? Yeah. Ha- Javier Bardem is fantastic... Mm-hmm. pick for this role he didn't and want to do it too. no no he didn't want it he was like i he literally told the coen brothers like um i don't know if you got the right guy like i he literally said like i don't really speak english well and i really don't like violence and they're like that's why we want you <laughs> <laughs> um imagine not checking any of the boxes for being <laughs> what the industry wants and then you're picked exactly for that reason Imagine. Wacky. Industry works in wacky ways. Imagine. Imagine this. No. <laughs> no, don't go. Stop please. singing. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so this movie well, is based off of... <laughs> something to freaking say. And then you went... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> what is it? Well, we could talk about his character. Oh, well, let me just quickly say this. The movie is based off of Cormac McCarthy's dark novel, which is, um, you know, it's... The movie adaptation is, like, weirdly accurate of the book. Like, the way that they set up the location and just, like, the overall tone of the film is, like, exactly as McCarthy set it up. Um, And... Apparently the the Coen brothers were like at a screening, at the scre- like at a screening of the film that McCarthy was at, and they like kind of like watched him from afar, and like they saw him chuckle a couple times, and they were like, okay, we're good, like they we <laughs> we did okay, he approves, <laughs> yeah, um, and this is also the first film that the Coen brothers won an Oscar for for best picture and best director. So, I'm glad because it deserved it. Yeah, well. In my opinion. No, it's very good. Go on. What were you going to say about his character? Oh, so you know he has like a really wacky haircut. Yes. That looks really, really bad and ugly. It looks like a cow like licked his head. Yeah, well, it's like a very... It looks kind of like coconut head from like Ned's Declassified. (laughs) It's like a look from what, the 70s? Or yeah, from like the late 70s. Yeah, it takes place in the 70s. it's It's like a really bad version of like a typical 70s haircut so the inspiration for it 
is uh, they f- the costuming team and the design team found they were going through photos mm-hmm. uh, from this time period and era to get a sense of what it was like um, style-wise and just like I guess culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, they found a photo of a guy at a bar in West Texas from 1979, and he had that exact haircut and very similar like attire. Mm-hmm. And the design team's like. That is exactly who we want. Because this guy looks like a psychopath. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, no, poor guy, but great inspiration for the film. Oh, and his and his boots. Yeah. Sugar's boots. Um, they're made of alligator. Like in like the in the film they are? Oh well, I think so, yeah. Okay. And they really wanted they were going for oh, like alligator. like a that bumpy and pointy and gross look mm-hmm. they're going for and the fact like to say if you look at him you can think oh wow he could kill someone yeah yeah and they got it they got it across really and well. his, I kind of want to watch this again his <laughs> iconic tool to like kill people is what they use on cows or something yeah it's what a cow it it's a cattle stun gun I think yeah. I think that's what it's called a stun gun it's uh pneumatic or hydraulic i don't know the mm-hmm. difference but there's a can of compressed or canister of compressed air and he switches it on and there's a mechanism that in his handle he presses a button and it shoots out like this rod of metal about five inches or less yeah very fast and it retracts in and it just mm-hmm. it delivers a very blunt force in a very small area yeah so he like opened locks with that and he did that into a guy's forehead yeah Ugh. and the cops were like i have no idea what killed him mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a cattle thing cattle prod no cattle prod's different i don't know uh yeah and i don't know just overall characters is terrifying like when i just the way that he He's got it all planned out all the time. Yeah, he's one step and ahead in every single his way. His gun has that compressor, that sound it, compressor on it. a suppressor. On, it's a suppressor, a suppressor on it. So that he, you're not, you're not in frame. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm just laying back. Okay. Um, he has a suppressor on it that whenever he shoots, it doesn't make any noise. Or well, makes yeah. a very so small amount of noise. He has a shotgun with a very, very big suppressor on it and mm-hmm. it. It just, it's a, or a silencer. It's so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, just like the part where he, he, uh, walks into that meeting with those two guys and then kills one of them. And then the other guy's like, are you going to kill me? And he's like, it depends. Do you see me? Yeah. And I'm like, shit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it said earlier in the film that like, if you've seen him and survived, crazy. He normally kills like everyone that mm-hmm. has seen him. The only person that he doesn't kill that he sees is that old guy. Is that old guy at the gas station? And he he like flips a coin. He's like, "Call it heads or tails." That He's like, "What am I betting?" So uncomfortable. I'm betting everything. You're betting everything. And he bet. I didn't. I really didn't want to see that old guy die. In the I know. Blood. He just th- this guy kills everyone that he <laughs> encounters. And He's crazy. Uh, he lets those two little boys live at the end. Yeah, he pays them like a hundred bucks or something mm-hmm. for this shirt. But 
Uh, that's the... one thing I want to talk about the the mm-hmm. violence in the film. Yeah. Um, they showed it very matter of fact. Like they don't glorify it at all. They don't really set up like this glorifying image of like to make it huge and blood splatter everywhere like kind of like tarantino does to make it look cool Mm -hmm. they just kind of have it happen and you have to sit with it and it sits it hits it hits different i see what you mean yeah it that's what they were going for so it's not like it's it's uh exactly how it would look in real life yeah basically. yeah that's what they're it's going. not like with tarantino <laughs> it's like the blood is just, supposed we... to be like magnificent and just like beautiful to look at it, even though it's it's violence and it's terrifying if it were to re- happen in real life um you just have to sit with it yeah because you know when he shoots woody harrelson mm-hmm. with his shotgun mm-hmm He's just sitting there, and you don't see it, and it's in like sh- bad lighting. Whenever and he, just he shoots him. whenever he's threatening to like kill someone, uh, and it holding the gun in front of them for like a long amount of time, I realize that they don't ever show it when you're like anticipating it. It's always like just right. Wh- it's always just when it's like a surprise that they actually show it. When he's like holding it in front of someone, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Please don't do it," then they don't show it when he actually does, so which much- is nice because. Yeah. When you're an audience member and you're, like, waiting for him to do it, it's just this, like, terrifying. So when they don't show it, it's very nice for for me. Um, yeah. And also, like, apparently only, like, 12 shots of the film weren't used in the film. Um, and the Coen brothers only had to... They, they plan so well every single shot that they need that they rarely end up having any extra footage at the end. Um... Like, for this film, they only use, like, 250,000 feet of film. What is the typical amount that's like used? Like, 700 to a million. Yeah. Oh, they're very good. Yeah. <laughs> they know how to save their money, too. Because um, I'm sure that film costs a lot of money. Not that they need to save any money. They're very famous, but, you know. Yeah. Um, But they just, I think that they enjoy getting everything done. And they have a very good system that works. They've made for themselves and everything. You know. Um, yeah. I have a couple fun facts for this film. Oh, I, I was just going through mine. <laughs> kind of what I was doing. Okay, well. You go ahead. Um, I have one more. Heath Ledger was actually uh, their first pick for Lewin. Moss. Llewellyn? Llewellyn Moss. Yeah. He was, he was their first pick. I was kind of sad that Llewellyn died. I mean, I know. I was like, "Damn it!" He's and and uh, who plays the cop? What's his name? I know he's super famous, and I and I know him, but I don't know his actual name. Mm-hmm. You don't know either, do you? I don't know he's either. From Men, he's from Men in Black. Have you seen Men in Black? No. Oh my god. <laughs> we have to look it up again. Sorry, guys. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Him. Him. Yeah, he gets there right after he gets killed. Mm-hmm. Like, within a minute. Yeah. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles in this film, guys. And um, also, you know, <clears throat> uh, Josh Broiler, the guy who ends Bro- up... Brolin. Brolin. Who is Llewellyn. Who, yeah, is actually ended up getting the part of Llewellyn. He made his audition tape when he was on the set of Grindhouse... And so he, like, used their cameras and their 
you know, supplies to film their his audition. Mm-hmm. And since Grindhouse is directed by Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, they directed his audition for it. <laughs> so, and then he didn't get the part initially. Um, mm-hmm. But then he did. So, um, once... Once the Coen brothers met him in person, they were like, okay, yeah, you need you need to get the part. So then Josh Brolin got the part. Um, Hell yeah. And also, apparently he broke his shoulder, like, like injured his shoulder, like, right before shooting started. Of course. And he didn't want to, like, you know, not be in the movie because he had wanted to be in a Coen brothers movie for a long time. So he didn't tell them. But it was like... <laughs> clear that he like had an injury on his shoulder but since he didn't tell the coen brothers they were like okay we're just gonna treat him the same way <laughs> like <laughs> if he's not gonna tell us and, but then luckily um his character gets shot in the shoulder yeah like i was gonna say like beginning. is that why they wrote that in so oh. and i don't know if it was why i think it was already yeah it's probably already written part of in the... though so i think that was just very convenient that he got to like show his real pain in mm-hmm. the movie. <laughs> so when he when he shot in the arm and he's like, you know, ouchie, my boo boo. Ouchie, I got pellets in my back. Genuine pain. Remember guys. that scene where the dogs chasing him? Yes. In the river. That part oh. was terrifying. And also, well, I mean, of course, you could you watch a dog get shot and killed in this film. There's so many dead but, dogs, guys. Uh, <laughs> he had a pistol on him, right? Yeah. And he gets out of the water. And that was the most stressful thing ever mm-hmm. because he, the wa- <laughs> you don't want water in your gun, right? He had to clear it. He had to dry yeah, it off yeah. and, and shove it in while this dog is, like, mm-hmm. rapidly approaching him. Mm-hmm. And he killed it finally right when it was, like, when, in yeah, front when of him. Yeah, like, him. right in front of his face. And that's, like, a whole new level of terrifying. Like, to take something... Like, you know how, like... They make, like, even, um, Shigur does this in the film. Like, they make villains drink milk in a film, and it just makes it all the more disturbing because it's, like, you associate milk with, like, childhood and sweet mems, and then you see, like, an old creepy man drinking it, and he's, like, a villain. Like, it just makes it all the more terrifying. This is, like, a whole new level because they take a dog, a man's best friend, and make it swim after him with the intended notion the intent of to kill him. killing him. And that's just terrifying. Like, swimming in a river trying yeah. to get away from this dog that's trying to kill you? Yeah. <laughs> this is terrifying. I mean, the fact that, that dogs are used in that kind of way isn't anything new, but... Yeah. It's still terrifying. <laughs> well, I, I, I hate seeing just the dog's head out of the water. It's like... Coming mm-hmm. after him, and mm-hmm. they're like, and he's trying to swim with his one arm because he's shot in the other. Yeah. Oof. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Good job, Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to know? I have one fact. I want to. I want to say. Okay. Before you go to your next one. Okay. The blood they used in the film. Mm-hmm. So typically they use like cheap prop blood that is has sh- it's like sugar based, and you mm-hmm. mix it with whatever. Uh, but since they're in the desert, if they. Filmed all the dead guys with this fake blood that has sugar in it. It would attract so many flies and mm-hmm. so many bugs mm-hmm. that it would be impossible for them to be comfortable while acting dead mm-hmm. and just just suck. So they had to import this specially concocted blood from the UK, which ran about eight hundred dollars a gallon. So they had to use it sparingly. <laughs> like it was very expensive blood. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. a gallon. Dang. I mean, 
They have the money, you know. <laughs> I mean, they saved a lot of feet of film, so. Yeah. And film's really expensive, so. They could have just used all that money and put it towards the blood. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Also, another fact that I have, fun fact. So, um, a lot of, most of the film was shot in, I think, Mexico. Yeah. And But they had to shoot some scenes in Marfa, Texas, which is like a small town in Texas. And when they went there to go film, Paul Thomas Anderson was there filming There Will Be Blood. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the two movies had to like coexist and like just film in their they, own parts of this small town. They picked imagine the same... Living, yeah, imagine living in this small town in Texas and having like... Two of the three of the biggest directors in Hollywood just like come to your and pick town. your town, like it's yeah. <laughs> but but then uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know the in There Will Be Blood. This isn't really we haven't even seen There Will Be Blood, but well, don't spoil it. I'm not. This is literally the cover <clears throat> of the film. Oh yeah, like the big smoke, you know that happens in the film. It happened when the Coen Brothers were, were filming. No Country for Old Men, and they had to cancel shooting that day because every shot they did had the smoke in the background. And they were like, thanks, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> that's pretty good. That, that's a really cool fact. Yeah. I think um, that's really fun. One one thing I had about the environment is that it wasn't treating them well. Like, you mm-hmm. know, there were, like, all the thunderstorms and all of the uh, other weather events that were happening. Uh-huh. Like, you know, those were real. Mm-hmm. They weren't... That wasn't CGI. That was, like, if there was thunder and lightning mm-hmm. off in the distance, that was real. They mm-hmm. captured that. Mm-hmm. And they had to worry about the fact that there would be a thunderstorm and it would rain very hard for, like, ten minutes and then be fine even if the forecast for the day said clear and sunny. Mm-hmm. They just had to deal with that. So imagine your your set's all ready and then your cameras are out and then it fucking dumps. Dang. <laughs> and then you're like, oh. Stressful. Yeah, that's how. That's the sound they all made when yeah. it started raining. Well, Ryan, if you could rate, rank these movies, these three movies from favorite to least favorite, how would you rank them? Big Lebowski, A Country for Old Men, Fargo. Okay, but the, here's the thing: we but rated. They're so good. We rated like literally all these films four and a half stars. So this, <laughs> so th- this it, least favorite doesn't mean that you don't like it. It means that. Um, it, you just didn't like it as much as the other two. Um, it's like ranking me, Tarantino films. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I feel like I'm the Big Lebowski Fargo No Country for Old Men. Just because I'm a sucker for comedy. So you, you put, what did you put first? Big Lebow. No. Big Lebow. And then Fargo. And then No Country for Old Men. But all of them are great. I, 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 I can't, I couldn't handle the Fargo scene where he's putting his... In the wood chipper. In the chipper. In the wood chipper. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I was... It, nothing phases me anymore. <laughs> you just watch the Breaking... You watch Breaking Bad. Apparently that's bad. Well, it's not... I mean, violent. I mean, yeah, it's violent, but it's like... It's not just that. that it's also good, like... Is, is that not a good comparison, then? No, okay. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm mainly talking about, like, we've seen, like, Tarantino films... Where they're like way more violent. Django, especially. Yeah, so it's like. Okay. I don't know. Seeing a fake leg sticking out of a wood chipper 
It's oh come like... on! <laughs> I don't think of it in that moment as oh, that's no, just a fake leg. I know my my mind just automatically goes there now. I feel like it, is that just to like protect yourself from? No, it's just because like the films that I'm also like assigned for class are all like that. Like they're all very violent and gory and bloody, and I'm just I don't know. Movies, man. Movies be like. They're violent. I'm gory and violent. Hey. We haven't really made any movies be like <laughs> jokes at all in these episodes. Movies be like, I'm violent. Wanna come watch me? Movies be like, thanks for listening this far. It's an hour and like 15 in. These movies are really good, okay? And there's a yeah. lot. We, we did a lot of research into these movies. I know that we don't we don't talk much about like our opinions on the film because like we we're going to watch what we love. You know, hmm. so we just want to talk about all the fun facts and all of the cool behind the scenes stuff. That's what I'm really into. We're st- we're also still getting used to how to yeah podcast. And also, most of you who are listening have seen these films. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like you don't want to sit and listen and to our favorite parts like the last episode, which was a complete bust in my opinion. I did not like. The yeah, last I mean it was fine for what it was. It was just boring because we weren't that into the films, and these films were really into. So we had a lot of fun facts. In fact, I have a couple more. Can I spurt them out? Mind if I spurt? <laughs> All over the mic. Go ahead. <laughs> Gross. Um, so <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um. Fun fact, Miss McDormand in Fargo, she had a pregnancy, a prosthetic pregnancy suit, and it was full of birdseed to make it weigh, like, the same as a growing fetus. And one of the nights, she left it in her trailer, so it froze overnight. And one of the boobs, <laughs> one of the, the breasts in the, in the prosthetic suit, uh, the silicone boob popped the next day. From it being frozen. Whose character? Sorry. I like Marge. Oh, Marge? <laughs> I blanked. I'm like, I thought we were talking the about No Country for Old Men. The only pregnant person. Yeah, I thought we were talking about No Country for Old Men. I zoned out. I'm talking about Fargo. Miss McDormand. Frances McDormand. Hmm. Yes. You... She left it in her car. She left it in her trailer. Her trailer. On set, yes. And it froze overnight, and then the silicone boob in it the next day exploded. Who's an idiot? I'm kidding. She's not there. She sucks. also worked with a pregnant police officer to help with her character, which is interesting. I was really worried that she was going to die, <laughs> and then she did. She was. They almost named the film Brainerd instead of Fargo because you know, remember how a lot of it takes place in Brainerd. Yeah. They almost named it Brainerd instead, and then they realized that Fargo is a way better name. Than it the is. Fargo. <laughs> Thank God for that. Um... Brainerd sounds like a person's name. They also didn't tell the cast <clears throat> that it wasn't a true story until three weeks into shooting. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they say in the beginning that it they're based on a true story. It kind of is. It's based on it's it's like kind of based on two real events that happened. Yeah. Well, but... and also just like things like that, I feel probably happen. Ha- they they've happened before. So, <laughs> well, yeah, everything is happening. A lot of things. Most happen. movies, you can say this is a true story. You know. Um, well, they took two select incidents that didn't they like happen kind of near Fargo. Like I one, don't know. the dude actually did put his accomplice into a wood chipper, and the other one was about a pregnant cop. I think. Okay. 
but okay but the 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 movie story itself is not true yeah uh excuse me (laughs) but yeah that's all i got that that those are my last few fun facts that i didn't mention before well this one ran a little long it did run a little long but that's just because we loved these films and we did a lot of research and we you know we wanted to talk yeah we wanted to really knock this one out of the park We'll see if we did that. Uh huh. I feel like, I feel like this was a better. This is episode. definitely a better episode. Thank you for listening. If you got this far. Yes, thank you for listening to today's episode. Comment. Uh, shut the fuck up, Donnie. If you made it this far. <laughs> no one comments. <laughs> no one will comment that. No one can even comment on Spotify. Just, just to, no, unlike YouTube. Just just to show that you just to, just to prove that you listened to it all. Oh. It's okay. Well, anyway. No, they... no, no, no. Comment, those are good burgers, Walter. That's better. That's better. Either one will know. So. Those are some good burgers, Walter. Those are some good burgers, Walter. <laughs> okay. We will see you in two weeks when we discuss three other films. I think that we're doing... Well, don't say. I won't say. We always say... Uh, we're always about to but say... But I also want to do an Oscar episode. Like, an episode where we record our uh, predictions, and then... Like, it would all be one episode where we record our predictions, and then we record our reactions to after we watch the Oscars. Okay. Because I've seen I've seen pretty much everything that's nominated. You haven't, though. Um, we need to wrap this we'll up. We'll work on that. Before it okay. stops. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Thanks for last. Or, yeah. Thanks listening. for watching and listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Peace.